This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 89 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by the world's best omega-3 supplements, Omega Fields. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have some interesting characters all the way from South Africa with React. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Coach Jen, with me. Hi, Jen. Greetings. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, we're going to have a great show. I mean, you and I got a little sneak peek at all the uh, interviews, and it's really interesting and comforting to know such young kids are off uh, doing things for horses that you'd never expect at at their young ages. So this will be really fun to introduce to our listeners. Yeah, this is a really fun international flair to, mm-hmm. to today's show with, with people who, you know, we have one end of the spectrum where we have a veterinarian who has an established career who is branching mm-hmm. out and improving the welfare of polo ponies, even mm-hmm. though he already had a well-established career in a more traditional veterinary veterinary. A role, and then That's we right. have the React team who are really just getting started in their careers in whatever they decide to do. They said, "You know, we're going to do this first. This is going to be important, and we're going to we're going to make a difference for some some horses and animals." Yeah, I love I love what they did. I mean, they're they're young and they've got all the ability in the world, um, but they put together something called React, which stands for Riding Expedition Against Cruel Training. Do you love that? I love me an acronym. <laughs> Acronyms are fun too, but I, you know, it's just so idealistic. And they're in South Africa; it's not that safe. So um, you'll have to hear taking how some brave risks. these yeah. people are. Yeah, yeah, really, really brave. So what's going home? What's going on in your stable? In my little stable, I have a Pablo report. We haven't chatted about Pablo oh, yeah. in a long time. Update me, update me. Yeah, how's Pablo? Pablo is doing well. He is the next door neighbor's paint horse who. Um, really kind of started me on my journey towards understanding and making use of the language of Equus. Mm. Um, That's right. He, he kind of he kind of said it's either that way or the or the highway, honey. Um, <laughs> he he is only one language he was going to speak with. That's you. That's huh? right. He is not willing to to uh, change languages. He is a very very reactive animal, and he is very very intuitive in that when a human being uses the language of Equus when handling him, he's right on your page. He, he is not one of those horses that unlearned it. Mm-hmm. Um, he makes me think of the, the Mustangs or the untouched horses in that when the human gets it right, it's, it's instantaneous response because they already speak the language. Yeah. Versus instant trust. Instant they, trust. They really get you. Versus yeah, maybe a horse that's been a school horse and a jumper or, and, and has had three or four different careers with human beings over the years, they learn to completely tune out whatever the human is saying with their body because it makes no sense. And it's just talk to the hand. I don't care what you're doing. You're doing. <laughs> talk to the hoof. Talk yeah. to the hoof. So he has, he has taught me to try harder to get it right because as I, I now know that when I get it right, he's like, he's right there. Yeah. Well, um, we're taking care of him this week and I, 
put the dually halter on him because he tends to walk quickly and get in front of you. And he's very mm-hmm. easily startled by everything. Okay. <laughs> everything, including, including his you, own, including his oh. own shadow. <laughs> shadow. <laughs> if I blink. Um, yeah. So I put the dually halter on him because I don't want to yank on his halter. He's got a couple of, of summer sores on his face. So we're trying to be very careful, not pulling on anything on his face. And I thought, well, the dually halter has a unique design in that you can put the lead rope on the left or the right. That's right. So I can put it on the side so that the halter daresn't twist at all and bump into the little sore on the side of his face. Like, oh, this is excellent. Yeah, good. Uh, And I can protect his little face that way. But I can also add a modicum of control so -hmm. that he doesn't startle and step on me. I liked that. Yeah, (laughs) that is help. Yeah. So how much have you schooled him with the dually so far? Well, the first day I put it on him, I just gave it a little bit of a tug and I, I have to tone everything down with, with Pablo. He, if you even have the tiniest hint of adrenaline, he's like, you're going to eat me. (laughs) So I had to be very careful to keep things low because that's one of the things I struggle with is the adrenaline part. Okay. I'm a little bit of a type A that way. Yeah. So I struggle okay. with that's I, what, I, I du- Duelies are perfect for that. Yes. So you don't have to. I don't have to. And I, I got that settled in. And I found, and I had to remind myself of this, it's not like all horsemanship. It's not the equipment you're using. It's how mm-hmm. well you use your equipment. Mm-hmm. It's the hands that hold it. It's the hands that hold it. And mm-hmm. I had to remember to school him, not just yank on it. Because you see people yank on halters Halters that are rope, halters that are leather, halters that are nylon, halters with chains, halters without chains. Not an effective training method. Extrinsic. Exactly. There you go. And I had to remember how to use it properly. So um, I had to give it a, a, a firm but in my, inside my brain gentle tug in that my brain was not going, yeah, because that doesn't work. <laughs> And he was ahead of you. And he was he, going ahead of you. And he was ahead of me. And okay. he gets ahead of you and the ears go up and the eyes go buggy and, and something's about to be terrifying and I'm going to get squished any second now. Yeah. And it was so interesting because he is so intuitive. He is so tuned into what the human is doing with their body. Mm-hmm. Um, we backed up two steps and forward one. Okay. He stopped stock still. His little ears flapped to the side. He said, gotcha. Ah. Good. I did that two or three different times over the span of a couple of days. And it's incredible if I have to stop him and back him up in one step and forward one hoof. It, it's very key for him. And I don't know if this is all the time, the schooling part. There has to be a back and a forward. Mm-hmm. If there's just a back, the results are not the same. It's like dancing. It, yeah. You know, once they, if you've got the back and forth, then they're really listening to you, right? It, it's not just one. It's not not just the other. It, you know, it's the it's the movement with. Where are you most comfortable with his nose? At your shoulder or about shoulder? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Okay. I don't want. And I, that's go ahead. It, it, yeah, tell us why. Tell us why. I don't want his shoulder at my shoulder because when he starts at things, which he does continuously, um, his it his shoulder's going to crash right into me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it's a is, big part. And it's a yeah. big part. If I have his nose there, um, he's more likely to jettison forward and get past me, giving me the opportunity to ask him to stop. It's just been experienced that if I let his shoulder get there, there are more wrecks. Perfect. Yeah. And what if he's 
two steps behind you. What do you feel like with that? Oh, you know, he's, he's further back. I don't care for that because then I can't see him and I can't. Yes. I, I feel like I can't communicate with him because I'm not within eyesight of, because his, his body language is giving me clues just like mine is giving him clues. Exactly. So I don't like it exactly. back there either. Good. That's perfect, Jen. A lot of people don't, don't, uh, you know, follow that and, and they have their reasons too. And that's okay. I just wanted to know how you felt about it because you're, you know, this isn't for a show class or anything. This no. is actually real life. This is you real know, life every day. Take them in another barn. Sometimes you bring them in and they're all amped up because you're five minutes late with dinner and they're all a Twitter. Uh, some days you bring them in and they're all, oh, it's hot yeah. and sweaty. Hot. I want to walk. <laughs> so in it, you're right. It's real life. And he uh, reconfirmed that um, it's training technique and how I use the equipment. I can't just give it a tug and say, slow down. He gets ahead of me and he forgets that he needs to stay at that shoulder. We stop. We back up one or two steps. We come forward one step. And if he gives me those indications that he's got it, he takes a breath and he relaxes and he says, I'm with you. We're good. We stop for 30 seconds and we walk on. If he's still amped up, then we need to back one step, come forward two steps, and we need to continue that. And the longest I've ever had to keep schooling in one, I'll call it a session, before we take a breath and then move on, is maybe a minute because he's so yeah. intuitive. And I've other horses, it takes different amounts of time, but it, it was kind of a little light bulb thing going, oh, yeah, Jen, don't get lazy, don't get complacent, and just give it a tug. That's not the way it works. Right. Right. And you know, you're going to refine this. I mean, I don't know how long your neighbors are gone. You're just a week again, but, but as you work with him and he remembers and they don't forget anything, they, uh-huh. they don't forget anything. They, they might test you and see what they can get away with. But, um, as you refine this, it's really a matter of closing your hand. You'll eventually get to just closing your hand because closing your hand means you're stable where you are. You stop, close your hand. And if he walks forward, he actually pulls that thing himself. He or into if it, he yeah. doesn't, uh-huh. or, if, or if you're trying to get him forward and you just close your hand and start to move forward, then if he's resisting it, he'll actually move on. So it literally becomes not even a tug after a while once they understand the, the dually halter and they, they choose to move themselves. They, you know, this is what, intrinsic learning is when they start to school themselves because they know where they're comfortable Mm -hmm. and, and training at the shoulder is perfect for me. I think I'm the most comfortable and therefore they're the most comfortable at the nose too, because like you said, they don't want to be scary. The leader, you know, scaredy cats don't want to be out (laughs) the head of the trail. And, uh, and if they're too far behind, if something gooses them, you know, they're over the top of you and they don't want to do that either, you know? So yeah, you're right on track. Right on track. Phew. Nah. <laughs> they, they, they teach you something every day, those horses. Oh, isn't it fun? Just yeah. Got to keep your eyes open and watch for it. I'm glad you have a new friend in, in Pancho. It's really fun. Yeah, pa- Pablo's a cool little dude. Pablo. Frustrating, Pablo. but cool. He He's one of those horses that he drives you crazy, but he drives you crazy the same way your favorite teacher in school drove you crazy because they pushed you hard. Ah, that's nice. It's the yes. same. It's that same... I think mental relationship for me. Cause he does make me crazy sometimes. Like I just want to pull my hair out. But then once I get past pulling my hair out, take a deep breath. I learn a lot from him. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's good. He's retraining us. You're retraining him. There we go. And he's Those got together. a he's got a friend. Yeah, he's got a friend. Oh, now we have to All put right, in that well, soundbite. You've got a friend in you. There we go. Yeah. That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> we got a little music with it. There we go. Well, let's get on to our um we've got some great guests today. Let's get the listeners involved with them. All righty. We're gonna hear from our title sponsor, Omega Fields, and then the folks from React are coming up next. Horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega 3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. Last year, the REACT team, riding expedition against cruel training, decided to travel to the north of South Africa, all the way down again to the south on horseback. Starting off in Heidelberg on 29th of November, 2016, they were a company of two, a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old, and they rode four horses without any on-hand support except the material that they carried with them. This expedition is probably one of the youngest riders' uh, expedition to ever cover approximately 1,400 kilometers on horseback alone. They lived to tell the story. And Hanalee Bremer and Petrus Tromp completed their first phase of the Monty Roberts certification courses shortly after that, facilitated by the Monty Roberts certified instructor, Kirsty Jenkins. And then they got in an airplane and they flew on the 31st of March, 2017, to the Monty Roberts International Learning Center in California to further study the natural horsemanship and horse behavior courses there. It's the first international course that was ever held of its kind in Africa, so they will be the first crop of certified instructors, should they choose to make it, that are going to be working in South Africa. We're very proud of that. Hanalee and Petrus hope to bring many more of these expeditions and a lot of the information back to South Africa to help develop the country's knowledge about horse psychology and working with remedial horses and, and starting the young horses. So let's hear from React. Well, welcome back. We have two students that are in the advanced course at the Flag is Up Farms for the MRILC, or we call it the Monty Roberts International Learning Center. And these two, Annalie. Hanali and Petrus have come all the way from South Africa. Now, you have to tell me the story about coming all the way from South Africa first. And then I want to get into another story that I heard about that sounds so fascinating for anybody who's related to horses at all. But first of all, Hanali, you're here with the advanced course. Where did you take your introductory course? I took my introductory course with Kirsty Jenkins in South Africa 
It was the first ever introductory course held in South Africa. About two weeks ago, I finished my exams. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if anybody has ever gone through a certification process to have just finished her introductory course exams two weeks ago and is now suddenly in another country and another continent taking her advanced courses is quite a testament to. And Beatrice? Okay, well, I was on the same introductory course. And um, so I also finished my exams two weeks ago. And then now I'm here. It's so exciting to have you here too. And Christy Jenkins is actually Scottish. Yes. And uh, was certified over here in the United States, of course, uh, has been long time working with Monty and um, was very excited to go just attend the first um, demonstration that Monty did over in South Africa, first in Joburg, in Johannesburg, yes. and then down in in Cape Town. But we talked her into, could you just maybe put a join up on while you're there? And hey, long story short, she's had intro courses and got to meet you all. So I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. And tell us how exciting it is to be in the advanced course here, because you all have been smiling for the last week and a half so far. Yes, it's been incredible. I learned about Monty <laughs> Roberts' advanced course um, when I was about 16 years ago. When I was 16, that I was gonna say, about four, <laughs> that's about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been a dream to me ever since to come here and study further. And it's been very exciting. It's my first time overseas and mm-hmm. in USA. So it's been Really exciting. Oh, yes. We're glad to hear have you here. And are you about the same age then too, Beatrice? Yes, I'm a year younger. But um, yeah, I heard about Monty only when he came. Well, I've heard about him, but um, I only had to do with his methods actually when he came to South Africa. And it really intrigued me immediately because I was always against violence in horses and I was always looking for a better way to to get my horses started and to work with my horses. And then actually, this was actually perfect. So I looked into it and... When I did the introductory course, I got hooked on immediately and I was like, no, I'm, def- I'm definitely going to do that advanced. And um, yeah, and it's amazing to be in America also. I've never been in the USA and it's been a really good experience so far. And oh. We've learned so much at the course and the flag is up really an amazing place. Um, when you walk into the gate, there, it's like so peaceful and quiet and everybody's so friendly. So really enjoying it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we're glad to have you here. I've said that like three times, but we really are <laughs> glad to have you here. But speaking to the nonviolence angle, you have a wonderful story about a cause that you both had close to your hearts. And I'd like to hear more about that. What What did you decide and how did you, how did you roll it out? Okay, well, um, when we were both little, um, we didn't know each other and we both had a dream of doing a trip on horseback for um quite a while <laughs> as long as we can actually and um as we grew up and I could come like pushed it to one side until we met each other um but just a bit a bit more than a year ago as well mm-hmm. and we talked about doing a trip and we we're like oh we have the dream to want to do a trip and then we decided to but like what's what's holding us back and we started um, thinking of doing a trip across South Africa, so from about the center of South Africa right down to the um, coast. And then as we started thinking about the trip, we thought, well, we have to have at least a cause we're riding for. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were thinking about it and we really put some thought into it. And since we were both into Monty and into nonviolence, we were like, okay, well, let's let's get South Africa also a bit more aware of, of nonviolent training. And that's how we came up with React. 
Um, that was, act. Re-act. It's an acronym. Yes, it? yes. Yeah. It stands for Riding Expedition Against Cruel Training. Oh, that's a great thing. <laughs> that's a great thing. So I, I got it that you had a bucket list as a, as very young people. Mm-hmm. You had a bucket list to ride across an exhibition mm-hmm. expedition yes, or something expedition. like that yes. yeah, on horseback. And then you met and you decided to finally live out this bucket list yes. item. Exactly. Yeah. And you both agreed that mm. what the cause would be and it's react. Yes. Um, South Africa, I think, has a lot to learn about nonviolence training. Mm. So it was incredible the way we could um, first it started just about this awareness thing and, you know, it's going to be on the logo and everything. But as we started traveling down the country, um, we could really make people more aware and we could show them some stuff and nonviolent tra- training methods and it's been incredible the response we got i'm glad so you don't think you were going against tradition we were <laughs> we really were um going against tradition um me myself i grew up in a very traditional um family with traditional horsemanship methods so um Yes, <laughs> but um, I think the way we try to do it is um, not let us show you how it's supposed to do. We really tried to connect people and their horses and to bring people together with us. And so how did like, you do that? What did you demonstrate to them? Our approach was more, okay, we see you got maybe your horse is a problem with this. Let's see what we can do. And we would try to involve the person as well. And as we progressed, the the people just got to see that these nonviolent training methods were just so effective mm-hmm. that they were just astounded and they had to give over. So, What were some of the issues that you overcame? Well, um, one of the first ones were, was a horse that wouldn't stand still while mounting. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually, we, we like the the guy, he, he he's heard about Monty and he's like heard about join up and stuff. And he's like, no, do a join up and then you'll stand still. And we're like, well, not really, <laughs> but we can... We tell them we can try and we can show them a join up. And um, the little, his girl was actually riding the horse. So we got the horse and we did a join up and then we had to, eventually we got him standing still mounted and she could mount him from wherever and he was fine. And then, yeah, a lot of the time, mostly we showed them join up. Um, people were just interested. We had a, had a horse that was really spooky and so we did a bit of a desensitization with the yeah. plastic bags and lines and everything. And they also backed actually one horse. Mm-hmm. They uh, did. Yeah, they did. we got a horse. Backed. Which one of you backed the horse for the fir- uh, well, first first saddle, bridle, and rider? Yeah. Yes, yeah. first saddle, bridle, and rider. Uh-huh. Well, we worked together, but um, in the end, I got on first, and yeah, she she was fine. Just incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. So you did a join up first. Yes, and we did a join up first. It was very interesting because um, none of the places we were had. There was only one place at an actual round pen. So um, for this backing, we had a kind of a corral, but it wasn't round. The one side was square and the other side was like half round. And it was <laughs> the ground was a bit um, slanted. And but, um, yeah, we got a nice join up. I don't know how. Um, yeah. And it was successful. Now, what breed were you seeing when you went across the country? Because I think a lot of people don't know what breeds are in South Africa. Yes. Um, the horses we used... Um, we also trained them by ourselves um, um, before the trip. They were the S.A. Burbert, and that's an indigenous breed in South Africa. Um, they're not known internationally, 
that haven't been exported yet, but they're very well known in South Africa for their temperament, their hardiness and athleticism. And yes, they're incredible. Say it slowly for us. Now, they're <laughs> the what breed? The S.A. Burpert. Budapest. Yeah. Yes. And Budapest, if you want to try, translate directly, mm-hmm. um, is farmer's horse. Farmer's because horse. that's where they originated from, um, as a kind of like a workhorse and a ranch, like go get the cattle and the sheep and go patrol mm-hmm. and stuff. So that's where they originated from. And they were used in the, in the Anglo Boer War. Um, between, Boer Wars. Yes. Yeah. We say between, Boer Wars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Between the um, English and the South Africans. Um, and and that's where their history actually comes from, is all the way through there. And so they came preserved. from England originally. Or no, they no? they were mixed of a lot of breeds in South yeah. Africa, and then the lines were a little bit small. Gotcha. They, um, they started um, right after the Cape Colony got started in Cape Town um, in the 1600s, mm-hmm. and so they started um, first only being Arabs, and later some Andalusians. It was Arab Berber crosses, then some Arabs, and then Andalusians and Isabella horses that came that were on their way to South America, and then later on some thoroughbreds were also introduced. And but it's been the breed has been since nineteen ninety eight. Since nineteen fifty seven, it's been recognized as an indigenous breed, but it's settled in nineteen ninety. That's a long time. In between, mm. why did it take so long? Do you know? Um, there took. There's a lot of um, reformation that took place um, for, since the beginning, the development of the breed, and um, a lot of lines develop. And also, of course, when the wars happened, um, a lot of the horses got um, extinct. A lot of the lines got extinct, and the breed that we know it as today are still left from what the Boers preserved in the war. And how do you know so much about the breed? Um, <laughs> my grandpa, Jan van der Bad, is a well-known S.A. Budbad breeder in South Africa. He is one of the founders of the association that we know today. Is that right? Yes. So you were sort of born into this, yes. this, this dynasty of horses, <laughs> am, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, though, It's very right? exciting. I bet you come here and feel kind of special about that, though, because there's... Not very many of us know much about that. Yes, I do. I do. And it's nice to have a heritage and something Mm -hmm. you're proud of. Mm -hmm. So what do you want to change in South Africa? You've got REACT formed now. You're going to have a certification, we hope, eventually (laughs) when you get all your lessons in. Um, What what do you want to do with all that talent? We definitely want to get South Africans and um, the people working there with the horses get get them a bit away from the traditional methods and um i'd I'd love to see a lot more people doing a non-violent training of their horses whether they show jumpers eventers just want horse to ride or whatever they're doing with their horse just give the horse a chance a bit more mm-hmm. and um we we both would really love to to use use horses in um in the lives of people and help them to change lives and emotionally as well as physically um because South Africa is a is a place with a lot of violence and with a lot of problems, so we'd love to use horses in that that area as well. So you're not you're not looking to win the next world's championships out of South Africa or anything. It's not as much about. Well, maybe you are. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> if I get a chance, though, I'd love to. Yeah. I love competing and I love yeah. show jumping. Yeah. But um, but that's not my main goal. But if I ever get the chance to, I'd I'd love to be a champion or 
ride Olympics or something. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and how about you? I'm not competitive at all. No, <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm very into how horses and people relate. The psychology between horses and humans just fascinate me, and um, horse behavior how they interact with each other. It's something that has fascinated me since I can remember, and I just want to develop it more and more. There's so much I think we can still learn about the horse. Ah, I'm glad. I'm glad you're an advocate for the horse, too. But I understand the need for speed sometimes, too. Mm, <laughs> <Yeah. that. laughs> I get that, too. We come, you've probably seen my mom competing around here, you know, practicing. Yeah. We come from a very competitive family, so I get both sides of the equation, too. <laughs> but so what did you learn here in the advanced course so far? I know you're only halfway through it, but that you think helps your goals to get back to South Africa with. Hmm. Well, definitely, I've, um, working with um, untouched horses, it's been a total new experience. Hmm. Um all the horses I've ever worked with are either rescued or remedial or have been in a stable, so they've been worked with. You just had to put the saddle on. So, so they were born in domesticity. Yes. They were born domestic horses. Definitely. But in this case, you're working with Something. feral horses, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, that's taught me a lot already, mm-hmm. and especially about the timing of your, of your work and, um, and the, really you don't have to even use a lot of pressure or anything. Um, it's, yeah, that's been, I think, my highlight so far. Yeah. <laughs> working with those horses and seeing how fast the horses actually learn. Yes. That was amazing how quickly they can actually learn. And if you do the right thing, it's within minutes. So, um, and I'll definitely take that further into my riding and into my training of horses. Yeah. Good. Yeah, good. Mm. Yeah, for me, I have worked with some feral horses before, but a lot of them um, have already had bad experiences, for instance, in a shoot mm-hmm. or whether they were vaccinated or whatever. And um, so for me, it has just been an eye-opener how these horses that have never had a bad experience and the whole training process just goes so smoothly and that the horse just really has his will in his heart to do good. Yeah. He doesn't want to fight you. He doesn't want to be bad. He wants to be good. And so that's been incredible to me to see if you do the right thing, the horse will do the right thing as well. And also, um, these instructors are amazing. Um, (laughs) I've really been inspired to really fine-tune my work. Um, And I I really think horsemanship is an art um, to really perfect it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just really inspired. Good for you. It is. It's timing, Mm -hmm. and that that is is art, isn't it? You know, not everybody is born with that, Mm -hmm. but you can be training, but your physiology helps a lot at this Mm -hmm. point, this advanced stage Mm -hmm. that you guys are both in. So I'd love to hear, like, this must be a pretty nerve-wracking experience that you're going through, coming from another country, right? Mm. Dumped in, in, in to flag us up farms where, you know, the man, Monty Roberts, is, yeah. is you know, he, fortunately he's not here, but, um, uh, you know, so you don't have to be that nervous, but but Denise is friendly and, and wonderful as a yeah. teacher. But so what was the most hair-raising experience you've had between the track from north to south and here? Okay, well, well, I think most of them was on the track itself, on the trip. We've got some amazing experiences. Um, on the trip too. On the tri- yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. on the trip to down. The on south, the, yeah. Yeah, on the Did you have any, any just really crazy stories? Yes, we have a few crazy <laughs> stories. Oh, a few. Yeah, actually, I mean, we were riding for about three months, so um, it took quite a while, so we've got a lot of stuff happened. 
I mean, I could share one of the stories that really touched me. Sure. Um, we were, <coughs> it was on the, I think it was about in the last week of our trip, we had to cross a mount, uh, mountain range and there was only one way and that was a little narrow pass. And um, we, <laughs> we walked, yeah, we like led our horses up because it's a, it's quite a busy road and there's a lot of trucks. So we really walked close to the side and um then it's a cliffs on the other side and the road on the other yeah. side. <laughs> uh-huh. So that was quite scary and, and our horses were so brave. Um at one point actually we got to a point where there was like a little hole in the way and if the horse stepped into it, he'd like fall off the cliff. So and we were <laughs> it was too narrow to turn around. So we we're a little bit um we sure. Yeah, we weren't sure what to do and on on our one side there was a fence splitting the road from the little little side. Yeah. Um so Hanley walked just around the um around the hole and like stepped to see is the footing fine or not. And it was a little bit loose, so she did not want the horse to go over. Mm. And for some reason he decided he's gonna follow her over and she like left him to see if, um whether he can figure it out or not. And he like went across the hole and nothing happened and as he had to put his last foot over, he bumped himself against the fence and um, stepped away and fell into the hole. He did. <laughs> and oh my gosh. It was actually so scary. I still, to this day, I don't know how the horse got out there because he was, um, for anyone who's watched Lion King, where Mufasa was hanging the on the King, cliff. That's right. Yeah, was hanging off the cliff. He was like hanging there and I really, there was no footing underneath him so somehow he got himself out and he was oh up gosh. and um, he's a goat yeah he was a goat <laughs> and my horse was like looking at this and he's like there's no way and yeah he, <laughs> and he turned and he just climbed over the little fence because it's about <laughs> yeah. a knee high fence and yeah. he was just like there's no way i'm going over so he turned by himself and he climbed over and he walked around <laughs> on the road a practical <laughs> so man was, that he is yes yeah. That's so a great that horse behavior it, it, it story. Then, <laughs> unbelievable, and um, I think really um, how much we learn from our horses, and actually how far you can push your horse when when he wants to work for you, mm-hmm. and when they when they've decided okay we want to work for you, um, mm-hmm. you can really push the limits quite far, and they'll go. Yeah. So that was quite. I think that was one of my most amazing That's a crazy experiences. Story. So you had four horses riding two all the time. Is yes. that it? Yeah. We started off and in the end we um decided to send our pack horses home. So we ended up with only riding two. Um since the people are so friendly we didn't really need all our pack. Ah, that's nice. Yeah. That's good to hear. I'm glad you do you have good good horse stories or bad people stories or anything like that? <laughs> Um, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of good horse stories. I mean, there has been so many times when our horses just climbed in and put in their hearts when we didn't even ask them to. They just did. Um, we've had some very interesting people as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we didn't know what people we were going to meet, but, um, Yes, oh, there's, there's so many stories to tell. I can probably well, go on forever. I'm glad to hear that there weren't any horrible. I mean, we hear <laughs> yes. over here in South that South mm. Africa can be dangerous. It it can be. Um, we we worked out our route very well. Um, it took us about a month to plan the route, and um, but the route we did was quite safe. Mm. Um, I think it was rural country. It was off road. Yeah. So if you wanted to uh, share with people probably the most important thing that you learned on your track north to south, what do you think it was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, never, be, never make decisions based on fear. 
Um, mm. If we would have said, no, we can't do this because we're afraid, or um, the horses would have said, no, we can't do this because we're afraid, then we wouldn't have gotten anywhere and we wouldn't have, have this amazing story to share today. Um, and it's incredible how we just, if you just step out of your comfort zone, there's a whole world waiting there. And um, I want to encourage young people. We are young. I will be 20 this year. Beatrice is 19. And um, there's not a lot, lot of young people in South Africa um, doing trips like this and adventures like this. But I want to encourage young people to try to things that push you out of your comfort zone because you learn so much. You learn from other people. You learn from um, new experiences, from nature. And, yeah, it's just very precious mm -hmm. memories. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, well, I definitely also agree with Hanley. Um, I also definitely learned to, it doesn't have to be afraid and you don't need to be afraid. Um, you can step out of your comfort zone and you can achieve great things. doesn't matter if you're young and you don't have to be someone special. Um, I think even Monty's story alone is also a, a big testimony of that. You you can be a normal person. It's just you have to have the will to do it and, and you'll find a way somehow. And um, yeah, we were we were a special teenager. We, we were just normal people that decided we're gonna do this. So um, I'd I'd love to also encourage young people to to take a step out of their comfort zone and really really do do something else. And um, yeah, there's no need to be afraid. And that's definitely one thing that I've also learned is being afraid doesn't doesn't help you at all. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm seeing you guys impart to these horses because these horses look like. I want to be afraid. Do you think I should be afraid? And you guys are saying, no, don't be afraid. Exactly, yeah. Set a goal exactly. and you can do it. And yeah. and I, I think that's what the horses are yeah. partnering with you and, and yeah. recognizing. Yeah. Thank you very much for the interview. I appreciate Thank it. You. Thank Thanks you. for being on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, welcome Cavallo founder, Carol Herder. How are you today, Carol? I'm great, Debbie. I'm very excited to be here with you and your listeners again today. Thank you for the opportunity. I couldn't wait for today. Today is, it just marks a, a fulcrum in our um, horsemanship radio that we can add Cavallo, longtime friends of ours, Greg and Carol. And they have, um, they've been instrumental in some of our Horses performances, the the pads that we've used have been a hundred percent Cavallo. As I recall, Dad sought you out for your memory foam pads. Um, it wasn't the other way around. Uh, you didn't come to Dad and propose that uh, you could be a sponsor of his, but he called you up one day. Do you remember that? Oh, it's something I won't forget. Yes. Mm -hmm. When my assistant called me and said, I've got Monty Roberts on the phone, of course, I thought it was a joke. And oh. I get on the phone and he says, my name's Monty Roberts. You might not know me. <laughs> Just so humble and sweet. And he said he went to a local tax store and bought a saddle pad and just loved it and wanted to help uh, get it on horses' backs around the world. So mm -hmm. that's how our relationship started, isn't it? It is. And uh, I was really excited about that because I got to make the calls back to you to arrange you to come to the farm and show us a little bit more about your uh, your pads at the time. And 
I know you were big and growing then, but you've become such a global phenom. It's a global business. But what I love about you guys is you're still family. You're still humble and you still put in the miles to share the the good news of your products. You're in a different country, I think, every time I talk to you. Um, and you're out there doing it. What's, what do you have upcoming right now as far as appearances? Uh, well, I've just come from Equine Affair. We were in uh, Massachusetts and Ohio, and we had upwards of 500 people, uh, you know, wanted to hear me talk, which which is great because it used to be just a much smaller group. Uh, last week, I was at a new show uh, called The Main Event in Toronto, Canada, yeah. and I'll be moving on to... Uh, three days at Western States Horse Expo in Sacramento, California. I'll be speaking all three days there. And uh, I'm just so encouraged by the amount of people that are turning out for my talks now. As a horse community, it seems like we're really seeking answers that make sense to us personally and things we can substantiate and understand and really get behind. Your talks, um, what I love about them is your story this was one of those businesses born out of necessity. Tell us a little bit about how you founded Cavallo. Well, yeah, um, I got into horses as an adult from a background of holistic health care for humans. So I really didn't have any preconceived notions or anything. I just always knew I wanted to uh, be in the position to get involved with horses. So I got my first horse, Rocky. Yeah. Uh, but he was lame half the time, and he seemed agitated the rest of the time. And you know, <laughs> poor guy. And I, when I started asking questions like, "Is this, you know, this isn't like those beautiful horses you see running free on National Geographic?" You know, I mean, this horse was agitated. Mm-hmm. I was told that it's just part and parcel of horse ownership, and I should get used to it. <laughs> and I just thought, no way! Like horses have been on the planet for fifty million years. Fifty million years. It's not like they have a design flaw. I started Cavallo in 1993, and all I had was this, you know, burning question on my mind. How can I make this industry better for our horses and the people who ride them? So, I mean, you know, I had to do a lot of of soul searching and a lot of research before. Initially, it was where we've domesticated our horses and we ride them. So their issues must be a result of the saddles we put on their backs. And uh, that's when I developed the the saddle pads that that Monty loves. Um, But a lot of the conditions still carried on, you know, those, those inconclusive diagnoses like, like navicular. So it became apparent fairly quickly and that it was stemming from the feet, you know, no horse, no horse. And, uh, and then when I started investigating that, everything really changed. Yeah. And you've even written a book about this titled, there are no horseshoes in heaven. Uh, when I when I launched the book, I mean, you know, you talk about how you can change overnight and and uh, you know change things and and make a difference overnight. Well, the the book um, was an overnight success. It became uh, Amazon number one bestseller in four countries in in 24 hours. So, um, I'm I'm encouraged. I'm concur- encouraged to carry on. Good, good. Well, I like the encouragement. I I. Su- 
I support uh, what you're doing and I'm so happy to have you support what we're doing for good horsemanship here because I know that you always put horses first and we feel the same way. So we're, we're just excited to have you on as a sponsor and happy to support what you're doing for good horsemanship. Thank you, Carol Herter. Michael Royak is a veterinarian for High Goal Pony Ponies in the UK, and he came from the School of Veterinary Medicine in Lublin, Poland, in 2014 to follow his dream. Well, welcome, Michael Royak, all the way from the UK. Thanks for staying up late for us. Oh, hello. Hello, there. Hello, Michael. Well, yeah, it was really kind of Natasha and Nick Roldan to introduce us because I'm fascinated by your industry and what you're doing. And I'm fascinated, of course, by their success in the polo fields um, of UK, US. Do you ever get over to the US as well? No, not really. No, not really. you. Well, you've come a long way just to get to England. What led you all the way from Poland, as we introduced you originally, you studied and were from Poland. What what led you to the fields of the the polo fields of England? Mm, well, um, basically, that was um, that wasn't a plan. Um, my plan was to go to Abu Dhabi to work over there. Ah. Yep. <laughs> the United Emirates, um, but um, well, when I was there and I was waiting for my wife, um, she's realized that um, we will have another baby, so um, she decided she wants to stay in Europe, and um, with a little bit of help from a friend of mine, I, I found this job in, in the UK, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't really know where I'm going. Um, so then I, I realized we've got um, a lot of polar ponies to look after mm-hmm. and also saw some show jumpers and well, basically. Yeah. So you, you saw a lot of work in the UK. That's that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, wh- what was it about Abu Dhabi that was interesting you? Um, well, uh, my work in Abu Dhabi was a little bit different than what I do now um, because Abu Dhabi was more about reproduction. So <gasps> I basically for about two months I was a repro vet in Abu Dhabi. Um, I used to work with um, some Arabian horses, the show mm-hmm. uh, Arabian horses, mm-hmm. and um, especially mares, of course. Um, the best holiday in my life, I have to say. <laughs> so it was a good holiday for a couple of months, anyway. <laughs> pay pay is good, and and it's yeah. exotic for sure. <laughs> oh, well. I, I'm interested in the fact that you went from reproduction then, you're, I mean, you're a trained vet, got all the credentials there, but you end up um, doing a lot of horses' teeth, too. Is that specific to the polo, or was that, uh, are you are you working on horses' teeth for the show jumpers as well? Uh, well, um, I started to do, to do horses' teeth about 10 years ago. Um, I'm not only specialized in horse teeth, I also do some orthopedics. Mm-hmm. When I w- used to work in Poland, I basically I was um let's say normal vet with fifty percent of dentistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's more or less I would say sixty percent of dentistry and about forty percent of orthopedics. Mm-hmm. Um, Which do you find more difficult? I mean, I I would think as as a horse behaviorist, uh, you would have more difficulty working in the mouth than you do on on injuries. Am I right? Um, it's 
very difficult because, um, well, I, I would say you're right, because injury is obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, in the highest, on the highest level, um, show jumpers, let's say, and also polo ponies, we are looking at, um, we, are, we try to prevent lameness rather than treat it. Good. Yeah, good. Um, so we are also looking at really, really difficult cases when our show jumpers are coming to us. They say, oh, my horse doesn't want to jump. Uh, do, sorry. Do they, do they, that's all right. Do they feel as if they don't want to jump because they're hurting or are they um, trying to tell you to teach them to jump higher? <laughs> well, no, let's say, um, what they say is my horse doesn't want to jump the same from the left rein uh-huh. as well as from the right one, you know? Um, so there's a difference between reins for them and they say, oh, it's I've just won 140 um, show yesterday, but the horse isn't good. Uh-huh. So at the beginning, I was like, "Oh Jesus, um, <laughs> something wrong with those people." You know, they 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 they, they want to treat sound horses. And then, when I started to um, discover more, I realized that before a horse is lame, uh, he gives us at least six months in advance some warnings. He tells, uh-huh. "I'm really comfortable. Mm-hmm. I don't want to jump." Um, when it's too high, and I don't want to jump uh, when the oxer is too big. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so you're you're actually watching them being overmatched, kind of before they actually are. They're still able, but they're not as willing. So you're seeing mm-hmm. you're seeing things uh, proactively. So I see that you. I mean, you must have access to innovations um, in uh, exercise equipment and and uh, things to bring horses back. Um, obviously, uh, I, I saw some innovations on your Facebook page, like yeah. a, an oval walker, a free free walker, but it's up to the knees of the horse in water. And I think it was salt water, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So tell us, what are some of those things you're doing to prevent these injuries happening ahead? I love that concept. Well, um, what we do is we have to um, listen to what the rider says. Okay. Uh, we have to watch horse carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, that's the, that's the really difficult thing because some horses, they are just, some horses, they are quite unique. They trot, mm-hmm. they walk, or they canter on quite unique way. So you have to know them. It's, it's very difficult to be... Mm-hmm. Uh, really good in this mm-hmm. way of dealing with injuries when you don't know the horse. Of course, That's yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did you get into the to the teeth? Is that because there are very few people that are willing to go into the equine dentistry or is that something that you just seem to excel in? Basically, um, what I do is quite dirty. So most of the vets, they don't like it. I see. <laughs> Do you sedate or not sedate? I do sedate. You do, do sedate. sedate. Yeah. And what are what do you think are the pluses and minuses of sedating? Um, well, I do, I will give you an example. Um, when we are dealing with um, let's say normal sound horses, mm-hmm. they are happy to let us do what they, what what we want. Okay. Um, if there's 
anything wrong with them and they are unhappy mm-hmm. and there is a chronic inflammation and pain mm-hmm. and um, we come with the rasp and we cause some vibrations. Mm-hmm. We try to take a little bit of tooth and there's a pain. Mm-hmm. And w- uh, well, um, so my example will be um, little gray mare. Mm-hmm. The owner asked me to um, to check her teeth, but without sedation. So I put the gag on her mm-hmm. and I put my hand in and she lifted up her head and mm-hmm. almost, um, and almost did break my uh, elbow. Oh, well, like, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't feel anything. I couldn't see anything because she did not let me. And yeah. the owner said, OK, um, she's unhappy. Do you think she's fine? I said, oh, well, as far as I could. I'm in pain here. Yeah. Now we have two people that are, <laughs> we've I got know, a horse and yeah. a person that's in trouble. <laughs> I said, you know, she is, she's not too bad, but I can't really check everything properly. Mm-hmm. And three months later, she, um, she was losing some weight mm-hmm. and um, she wasn't happy. She wasn't eating well. So I said, um, let's sedate her. Mm-hmm. Last time she wasn't really good. So on sedation, with sedation, I was able to check her properly. Sure. Yeah. And she did have a slap fracture. And oh. slap fracture, this, this piece of tooth was pinching um, oh. a cheek from inside, sure. causing a wound. Um, let's say there was diameter of the wound was about five centimeters. That's really, awful. really bad ulcer. So basically, we to extract that tooth, mm-hmm. um, we had to, um, we did extract everything, but it's taken. You've, us, yeah, uh, you've got, you've got to have some sedation yeah, three, in cases three, like five, that. This five. is not floating teeth. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, so, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about La Indiana. Do you get to go to some of those polo matches? Yes, we are on every game. Every game you get to every go game. to. Yes. So you're there as the vet on site. Yes, oh, tell me about um, that. I mean, is there, is there polo in Poland? Mm, yes, there is. There is a little bit. Yeah, there is a little uh-huh. bit. Um, it's becoming more popular. Yeah. I but when you think... went to see La Indiana, was that like over the moon? Was it just super, super polo? <laughs> um, before um, La Indiana started to play high goal, mm-hmm. uh, they were playing, playing medium goal. And um, with medium goal, team, uh, uh, medium goal teams, uh, we were not going to every game. So before I, I went to, um, before um, I was looking after La Indiana last year, um, I saw, for example, Zakara, which was a great team. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, well, I have to say, uh, looking after, after La Indiana last year was... Um, um, that was a, that was a great thing for me. I was really excited every game because um, I was pretty close to them. I still am. I am I'm still pretty close to them. But um, with Nick Rodan, um, Team Tremorlos, and um, uh, Negro Luzaretta. Uh, we should we should tell people that aren't familiar with this that uh, La Indiana is a polo team that yeah, Nick Roldan is on <laughs> that you yeah that you help with. And um, and they are high goal players, all of these guys. 
And uh, they've done well over in the UK. And this is where I first saw that you were on as a part of that team and lots of things on Facebook people get to see. Um, but you to be hired by a team that is so accomplished as that and to keep these horses sound and happy to be out there performing at that level, um, you must have access to all kinds of innovative ideas. These are the things that I was wanting to talk to you about, the innovations that you you get to see to keep those horses at such a high level. I know what the guys do. They stay in great shape. But what do you do to keep these horses in great shape? Well, um, we are there almost every day, sometimes twice a day. At all the matches? Um, not, not only the matches. Mm-hmm. Not we only are, the matches. We okay. are, um, we, basically, we visit um, the yard or the, the team mm-hmm. um, once a day. If there's something wrong with horses, yep. we treat them. Um, what's the preventative side of it? What, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the horse can't switch leads, uh, you know, when he's turning it? Cause anybody who's watched polo knows that it's, it's not like a horse race where you go in a straight line as fast as you can. You're going as fast as you can sometimes. And then you're going left really fast and then you're going right really fast. And these players are very agile. And, uh, how, how does, how do you keep the horses that agile? Um, well, um, they have to be fit. They have to be happy. Okay. Um, they can be in pain, so if there's anything we can do for them, if they, if the players think uh, horses unhappy, horses mm-hmm. lame, or horses hasn't been performing well mm-hmm. the last game, we try to find a reason why. This Is happened. that a team effort? Like, do you talk to the players, or oh, yeah. do you? Yeah. Do, yeah. Are you the first it's one to bring it up usually, or does the player bring it up to you? Um, normally. Um, Normally, it's a player. Mm-hmm. They he says they, something doesn't feel right under me. I, uh, this horse is, is needing some attention. Yes, or grooms. Grooms are really important. Ah, okay. um, because um, they are with horses, well, almost 24-7. That's true. That's they true. The rest. grooms are critical. Yeah. And they speak for the horse. Do those grooms stay with um, a certain number of horses? Usually, like, do they do they have only four that they have to take care of, or five, mm, some number? No, no. There's um, each player has got about between ten and and fifteen, sixteen. Really? Okay. And, and how many do you? How many vets are there during a match? Do, are you typically the only one representing that team, like Indiana? Normally, I'm the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. What, what do you what do you find is the most common issue that you have to treat on the days? Well, the most common thing is all kind of orthopedic injuries. Mm-hmm. Kinds of yeah, you, that, that that's the most common thing. Um, muscle issues. Muscle issues, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the that's the next thing I would say. Um, what about behavior issues? I I know that that. Is that something you look for first to wonder if there is a muscle injury or, um, you know, a horse starts uh, acting up, not wanting to do something, refusing to do something, or do you just see, an, they, they seem like really willing horses. The, the breeding that I'm seeing in the polo ponies uh, are very compliant and very um, athletic horses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but do you see behavior, are there common behavior issues uh, in polo ponies and is, could it be medically related? Mm, well, um, at the highest level, um, if there was something wrong with the horse, 
uh, well, let's say horse wouldn't get to the highest level with some behavioral issues. Um, and um, I was quite surprised with Paula because um, horses, they act a little bit differently. Uh, let's say one set of horses for one player is like a family. Mm. They go to the field together. Uh, they wait. They're waiting until you know it's it's their turn. Just tied up. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit different than. Um, have you ever seen um, horses? Uh, the polo pony is going on exercise. Yes. Describe it though. Um, so there's one rider, normally groom, mm-hmm. and they went when they got morning and uh, afternoon exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, rider leads between three. Mm-hmm. To six horses and he's sitting on one so um he's ponying yeah ponying yeah. those horses behind him yeah. uh-huh yeah yeah he is he's ponying those horses behind him um well i have never seen um show jumper doing the same thing yeah that's a good point <laughs> i think right. it's what i have to i mean um uh, behavioral part of um it's not my it's not my specialty but mm-hmm. I think um, polar ponies, they, we have to look at them from a little bit different perspective. Um, Why is that? I think they um, are a little bit closer to the nature. I mean, not nature, the, the normal horse behavior in a group. Mm. Uh, Their herd, be- be- yes. herd behavior is a herd little closer behavior. to, yeah, that makes sense. Um, show jumper is... When you work with show jumper, you work with one horse. Mm-hmm. When um, you work with polar ponies, you can work with three to seven horses at the same time. Yeah, mm-hmm. they canter, they trot um, together, and it's it's. I mean, when you haven't seen this before, it's it's quite amazing because, um, mm-hmm. as I said, um, one rider is he can exercise. Yeah, uh, yeah. Between three. Uh, and to seven ponies, and they're they're all happy to be together. I know that is yeah, a very are, cool sight. Are, so. people, yeah, people should should go watch polo more often. So, is it what is your final dream? Do you want to get back to Poland eventually, Michael, or are you loving England? It's very horsey. Mm-hmm. Well, England is very horsey, oh, mm-hmm. extremely horsey. Um, yeah. So I I really love it. And um, what I think is, um, you said about you said something about innovations. Well, mm-hmm. we do quite a lot. We do uh, quite a lot of regenerative medicine, um, IRAP, PRP. Um, this is something when we treat orthop- orthopedics, for example, when uh-huh. we do orthopedic treat- treatments, we, we use quite a lot of regenerative medicine. We do, um, we've got um, Seawalker, we've got um, spa for horses. We've got nice facilities. Yeah, to, modern, uh, modern, expensive equipment is what I would call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. So um, there's a quite a big difference between the UK and Poland. So I really would like to stay in England, but I also would like to come back to Poland to bring it this. You could take some of that back, couldn't you? Yeah. yeah. What you learned there and this, these innovative thoughts and equipment and everything you could eventually take back to your yeah. your uh, original country. Oh, that's a great dream. I think that's a great goal. Um, that, that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, tomorrow I'm flying to um, 
to Poland to treat some 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 show jumpers. Mm-hmm. And um, well, it's so much easier to learn here to um, to improve skills in this country. Mm-hmm. It's a little yeah. bit more difficult over there. So yes, mm-hmm. I'm, I see myself in this country really. Well, maybe you can do a little bit of both, and your your wife and kids might like that too. You know, it, it's a very it's a very global world, and and it's becoming it's a shrinking world. So maybe you can do that. It well, it, it's fun to talk to you about this, and um, and you I know that you work in the in the latest greatest uh, equipment for horses, and um, I really appreciate that you're you're innovating and that you're helping those polo ponies be healthy. And so that when we watch those matches, if people get a chance to see some of these high goal players work like Nick Roldan and uh, he represents us in U.S. very well, that they will feel assured that they're seeing healthy horses and happier horses out there because of your help. So I appreciate that. Well, you know, um, people, um, they like to talk about polo, that it's cr- it's cruel, it's um, poor ponies. Um, it's not really like that. Um, I think, um, let's say, about money, the amount of money. Nick Roldan puts yearly into his horse's mm-hmm. health, it's, I would say it's quite amazing. So yeah, um, he's a good guy and he, and yeah. he loves his horses. And I think that is the future uh, for so many different disciplines. And I'm, I'm glad for you and I'm glad for um, the polo ponies that that is the truth. So, <laughs> well, Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today on Horsemanship Radio. I really appreciate it, and um, and a big blow, a big kiss to Natasha for uh, introducing us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. magic in the language of... Dear Monty, have you ever come across a horse so wild and dangerous that he was beyond help? Monty's answer. No. I have placed this question in this category, hoping that the reader's mind will be jogged to realize that if Mustangs are the wildest and most dangerous horses at on earth and can still be helped, that any horse can be helped. I have worked with some Mustangs that seemed, from how they behaved in their first lessons, to be absolutely lethal, and yet in a few days become relatively gentle. Obviously, with the experience of hundreds of Mustangs, it's easier for me to accomplish these improvements, but the principles remain the same for any horse person. It is simply a matter of getting your work right, meeting the needs of your horse, and carrying out the procedures that will accomplish the changes that you require to meet your goals. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Yeah. Yeah.
old is Monty Roberts. Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. May 13th, we got one coming right up, Night of Inspiration with Monty in California. Then June 20th, he has a charity demonstration in the UK where Monty will demonstrate his horse sense and healing program for veterans with post-traumatic stress. And then July 10 through 21, there's a Gentling Wild Horses course that he'll be facilitating in California. Then July 31 to August 4th, his annual Monty Special Training in California. And it'll be held both in English and Portuguese for our Brazilian friends. Woohoo! And you can find all of that and more at the website, MontyRoberts.com. Or you can give the folks at Flag is Up Farm a call. They're friendly and they answer the phone. Their phone number is 805-688-6288. And for details details about today's show, go to the podcast website, which is horsemanshipradio.com, and you'll find links and photos and more information about today's guests. And we love your feedback. If there's someone you would love, Debbie, to have on the show, a topic you'd like us to cover, let us know. And you can do that on Facebook. You can just look up Monty Roberts on Facebook. Of course, you just type in. Monty Roberts. Ha ha. Or you can tweet him. That's right. Monty Roberts is on Twitter and his handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And last but not least, go and get the app. That way you'll never miss an episode of any of the Horse Radio Network shows. You can go get our app at your app store. Just search Horse Radio Network. It's free and easy to use. Or if you're old school, you can subscribe on iTunes. Yeah. And it's addicting. Warning. It's addicting. Many thanks to our sponsors, too. Omega Fields, Cavallo, Horse and Rider, and Monty's Equus Online University. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.